Good morning, and welcome to Morning Prayers in Appleton Chapel. Today's service will begin with a responsive reading from the Black Appleton Psalter Book, Psalm Selection number 127, found on page 64. Please stand as you are able as we read responsively by whole verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth.
Good morning. Good morning. A reading from St. Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments, he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth, but what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We live in an age of efficiency, in a time when there is very little agreement on most matters. Nearly everyone agrees with the idea that we should try to do more with less, that we should save time, and cut costs. Indeed, behind nearly every successful startup today is the promise of efficiency. Whatever it is you want, a burrito, a cab ride, a date, there are dozens of well-financed companies working feverishly to make it easier and faster to satisfy your desires than ever before. This quest for efficiency is not just limited to businesses, however. Many people today strive with nearly religious fervor to be more productive and consider wasting time as the gravest possible sin, one to be avoided at all costs. I want to talk today about how efficiency came to hold such a prominent place in our moral and cultural imagination and why I think we should resist that development. Efficiency was a word first used in philosophy, one of Aristotle's four causes of change or movement. The efficient cause was the actual physically effective action. Think of a sculpture chiseling a new shape out of rock. In the Middle Ages, the theologian Thomas Aquinas applied Aristotle's idea of the efficient cause to God himself as the prime mover, the only thing in the universe that isn't caused by something else. As efficiency came to be understood as a divine property, it began to encompass other qualities attributed to God, including simplicity, foresight, and management. God was seen as a cosmic householder, perfectly managing his creations and distributing resources. The religious term for this management came from the Greek word oikonomia, economy, and it was believed that in God's efficient economy, nothing was wasted. In the mid-1700s, the Industrial Revolution was underway in England. New machines and processes were being developed to make the production of goods like cloth and iron faster and easier. The most important machine was the water wheel. These were large wheels built next to rivers or streams that would convert the energy of the flowing water into power to drive a gear or belt. As water wheels spread, people started to wonder about the relationship between energy input and output. More specifically, they wanted to know if any of the water power was being wasted. One of the people working on this problem was John Smeaton, considered to be the first civil engineer. 
And in, eight, in the 1750s, he started conducting systematic research on how to limit power loss in water wheels. In order to control all the variables in his experiments, Smeaton created a small model water wheel, about chest high, with a wheel about 20 inches in diameter. He would then measure how changes to the design of his model affected total work output. His relentless quest to eliminate wasted energy led to dramatic improvements to water wheel design. His efforts accelerated the Industrial Revolution and cemented the idea that progress is closely connected to practices of measurement and control. Efficiency had been brought down from God's celestial economy to our own. Over time, efficiency started being seen as something good not just for machines, but for societies and individuals too. Such an orientation, though, means that we are constantly on the lookout for things that are wasteful in order to be more efficient and productive. But productive for what? Too often I think this means productive for our careers and not necessarily productive for our mental health, moral development, or relationships with family and friends. In truth, I would argue that it is precisely those things in life that are most inefficient that are most valuable. Things that resist quantification, such as love, faith, friendship, beauty, poetry, art, singing, or morning prayer. As a Christian, the life of Jesus offers me a model of how to live inefficiently. He seems to have spent most of his time wandering around, teaching and eating with his friends, caring for the poor and outcast, playing with children, and praying and fasting. None of these things may have seemed at the time as particularly productive, at least in an easily measurable way. Yet he was able to transform the lives of nearly everyone he came into contact with, offering hope, healing, and grace. I like to think that when the young man had that moment to give up all his money and follow Jesus, he thought of an Excel spreadsheet, and it was just too much. Overemphasizing efficiency in our lives can cause us to be blind and insensitive to anything that can't be neatly measured, analyzed, or controlled. Instead, we should seek after aspects of existence that lie outside measurement and analysis. Those things that stubbornly resist all our efforts to contain, capture, or fully comprehend them. Instead of banishing them, we should make even more room for them in our lives and in our hearts. Amen. will now offer a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we gather together as friends in humility and ask for thy grace today as we set forth in our tasks. We are mindful of all of those people affected by natural disaster, war, conflict, and injustice. And we plead with thee to bless them and to keep them. We ask that any of us suffering from sadness, loneliness, or guilt can be relieved. And we ask that we can have the strength to be better versions of ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Will you join me in saying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able to sing the hymn, Mother and God, You Gave Me Birth, hymn number 254. to this day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord grant you peace. And the gathered people said, Amen. Amen.